Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am J.P. Hornstrup with the Southern California News Group. Sean Green will be joining me shortly to discuss the topic of the day, which is the most successful regular season in the history of the Dodgers franchise. We have the playoffs to look forward to and all the roster decisions that will come with that. But first... I wanted to spend an episode appreciating all that has transpired over the last six months because only three teams, the 1906 Cubs, the 1998 Yankees, and the 2002 Mariners have won more than 111 games in the regular season in all of baseball history. Sean and I will be talking about how the Dodgers just did that. The short answer is they actually did it with very little drama. The Dodgers spent 151 days in first place in the division. Their run differential was plus 322. That had not been done since 1939. The Dodgers and Braves from 1993 to 2002 are the only teams to have a 613 winning percentage over 10 straight seasons. And the Dodgers are the only team in Major League history to win 106 games in three straight full seasons. Their 931 wins since 2013 are a full 73 more than the next best team over that span. And, not for nothing, a full 165 games more than the Giants. Who, by the way, haven't won a World Series since 2014. Who's laughing now? The Dodgers pitching staff had a 280 ERA, which is impressive in any era without any adjustments. But if you do the era adjustment, that's a 150 ERA plus, meaning the Dodgers ERA was 50% above the league average. And that is just shy of the National League record 151 set by the Chicago Cubs in 1906. Even the 2020 Dodgers had a 146 ERA+. So by that stat, the 2022 team was better than the 2020 team with 102 more games on the schedule. It's crazy. On the hitting side, I wanted to point out a stat Mike Petriello of MLB tweeted out last week. It's the Dodgers' run value on pitches 96 miles per hour or faster. The Dodgers are first in this stat. The Braves are second. And only six teams have a positive run value at all. That's because the Dodgers are 32.9 runs. The Braves are 3.5. Huge, huge, huge gap between number one and number two. And this tends to matter in the postseason because every team 
has only its three best starters pitching once or twice. Every team has a relief pitcher who throws 95, 96, 97, 98, all of the above. Just being able to hit that kind of speed does not guarantee you will win every series, of course, because the 2019 Dodgers were first in baseball in this stat as well. But it doesn't hurt. All right, I'm looking forward to this conversation with Sean. I just got done filling out my Cy Young Award ballot. I can't reveal the order, but Julio Urias was very much on the ballot. Always stressful filling out the ballot. Tough choices this year. Julio made the cut, though. With that, let's bring on Sean. Sean Green, welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Yeah, great to be back. We are speaking on Wednesday evening. The season, the regular season for the Dodgers ended about 30 minutes ago. So these thoughts uh, that you and I are going to have on the regular season are about as fresh as they can get. As I think back, 111 wins, most in Dodgers franchise history, going back to 1890. Um, no Dodger team has won this many games. They clinched the National League West a month ago. Just an all-around great season, but I'm, I'm wondering, Sean, what kind of stood out to you, and, and what do you think you're going to remember the most just about the regular season itself this year? Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible year, and I, I think their ability to overcome, you know, some just major major injuries, um, I think was is what's most impressive. Just the depth of the team. Um, they've always had a knack as an organization. Always, I mean, over the last, you know, with this regime of finding diamonds in the rough. But, you know, what Trace Thompson came over and was able to do um, was was pretty incredible. They, you know, they found some some different pitchers that hadn't had a lot of success in other places, and they came come over here and, and do really well. So I think it's, it's that depth that enabled them to succeed, even losing, you know, stars like Walker Buehler and, and having, uh, you know, Kershaw down for a period of time and, and Tony Gonson down for – I mean, so it, they've overcome Dustin May. I mean, that's what's really incredible about this organization is to have – you know, all-stars, Cy Young candidates in you know, different um, pieces of a lineup in and out um, to still be able to go out there and win 111 games is pretty amazing. That's a really good point. I, I think one of the more interesting storylines going into the playoffs is who's going to close games. And I think for a lot of teams, losing literally the active saved leader in Craig Kimbrell would be kind of a devastating thing. The fact that he lost the closer's job and, and might not even make the National League Division Series roster now. But you talk about the depth. I, I, Evan Phillips, Yancy Almonte, Bruce Dark Ratterall, these guys aren't stars by any means. But I don't hear too many fans worrying about uh, Dave Roberts and Andrew Friedman finding a way to get the ninth inning figured out in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll figure it out. It is, it, it's not ideal. I mean, I love, I love as a player having, you know, when, back in the day having Gagne and, you know, people leading up to Gagne, guys like Paul Quantrill and Guillermo Like those, you just feel, you have a different feeling as a player knowing that 
it's all taken care of once you get through the, you know, the sixth inning or so. But, you know, I think the Dodgers, even in the postseason, we've seen in the past, even when they did have, you know, Kevin Jansen, when he struggled, they sometimes would switch things up a little bit. So um, they're very much about matchups. And, you know, I think in some ways it takes a little bit of the, of some of the drama, the storyline of having a closer that isn't closing a game and maybe he's pitching in the eighth or not being used. I think now it's just kind of, it takes all that out of the equation and they can just go with the matchups that they, that they feel comfortable with. And, you know, I think with this, with this type of structure, it, it will work for them in the postseason. One decision that is not officially official, but seems pretty close is who will start game one for the Dodgers and that's Julio Urias. And when I think about Julio and just how long he's been a part of this team, uh, coming up as a teenager, having the shoulder surgery, working his way back into the rotation, and ultimately to the top, it feels like we've just seen before our eyes uh, a real true ace uh, come into his own. And I don't know that I necessarily would have said that uh, like even two or three months ago, but just watching him go about his business every day, even on the days that he doesn't have the best stuff, managing to get the win to pitch deep into the game, he really has a lot of the qualities that you look for in a number one starter. And I think the Dodgers can feel pretty confident that if he is the guy for game one, uh, that he's as good a choice as just about anybody they could come up with at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's an ace and, you know, if he was on, you know, most other teams around baseball, he would, he would be the undisputed ace. I mean, the fact that this team has so many great arms um, and then even guys have come over um, and seen, you know, new success in a Dodger uniform. Um, he's still the guy that he's, you know, he's been, you know, postseason tested many times and done really well. Um, so he's he's a guy you feel comfortable with, and he's not going to be scared on that stage at all. So uh, I, I like the idea of having him be the guy to lean on and um, and kind of start things off. So hopefully that's the way the Dodgers decide to go. Yeah, Dave Roberts said after the game on Tuesday, um, when I asked him if, if Julio would start game one, he said it would kind of depend on – whether they want a pitcher to go on short rest in a potential game five. And if the choice is between Julio or Clayton Kershaw, which it kind of seems like it is based on how they've lined it up, um, Julio seems like the more likely guy to bounce back just because of where he is in his career versus where Clayton Kershaw is in his career. And it's just amazing because that shoulder injury, (laughs) uh, that was a major injury. Guys just don't always come back from AC repairs, but Watching Julio this season and, and last season as well, it, it's almost like he didn't have it. Like just the way that he bounced back, I think, is something that fans really take for granted. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And shoulders are always really scary. I mean, the Tommy John has gotten to the point where you know most pitchers come back as strong or stronger than they they have. But there's not a lot of um, there's not as much precedent precedence of guys coming back from shoulder injuries, serious shoulder injuries, and um, kind of regaining the form that they had before that. I mean, there's obviously there are some cases, but it's 
it just it, it just takes everything is on the shoulder when you're pitching. I mean, it's every single throw. With your elbow, you know, certain pitches might affect it more. Maybe it's, you know, throwing a knuckle curve or whatever it may be, but that shoulder just takes all the wear and tear. And, um, you know, I've seen, you know, plenty of guys' career careers ended or never never being the same after it. So, um, you know, obviously the technology and the surgeries and the, the you know, the medical field keeps them you know, improving. So that's great. But, and as well as the rehab, but um, you got to tip your hat to him and to the whole, you know, medical team, Dodger organization for, for getting into this place and, and, you know, bringing him back as a young pitcher to have a great career. And, and he's still got a long, a long career ahead of him. It's very tangential to the point that you just made, but one of my funniest memories on the Dodger beat it was right after Brandon McCarthy had his Tommy John surgery. I think it was about five years ago now. And maybe the day before he was scheduled to go in for the operation, he's taking batting practice. And I said, Brandon, you're, you're about to have Tommy John. What are you doing? He's like, well, it's, it's starters BP day. I can take BP. I can't throw, but I can do this. So why not? Um, <laughs> and I think that just kind of speaks to what the human body can do, even with a torn UCL, as opposed to like the major shoulder injury. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, that, there's certain, there's certain injuries that you just do, do not want to have. And I think, you know, hips, hips are one area that could be really tough to recover from certain back injuries. Uh, you know, obviously we've seen with, with Clayton, how it's kind of, just always there, right? It's always something you're just yeah. protecting against. Um, and then shoulders. I mean, those are, those are the ones that, you know, for the most part um, are just really, really tough to, to get back to where you were before the, the surgery or the injury. Clayton Kershaw, like you mentioned, went on the disabled list twice this year with back injuries. But if he doesn't start game one, it looks like he's in line to start game two. Tony Gonsolin will probably start three or four with Tyler Anderson starting the other one. Again, not official, but Dave Roberts has more or less hinted that that's how he will line things up uh, with game five, if necessary, to be determined. Maybe a more important or equally important decision is how to spend the next five days because the Dodgers... Uh, are in the unique, truly unique position uh, because this is the first year of this playoff format where they don't have a game to play for the next five days. And I wanted to get from you, Sean, whether that's a gift, whether that's a curse, whether that's really what you make of it, because I, I mean, there's no precedent for this. I'm hearing they're going to have some inter-squad games, uh, not tomorrow, but then the next three days. Um, it's a unique situation, and I'm, I don't know. Are you curious to see what the Dodgers do with their time here these next five days? I am. I think I actually think it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Um, I know when I was with the Mets in 2006, we swept the Dodgers in the, the National League Division Series, and then we had about five days off, I think, four or five days before we played the Cardinals. And... Um, we ended up going seven and losing that series, but it is it, your first at bat or two, or sometimes might take a game to kind of get back into the rhythm of things. So um, I think it's, it's definitely for the pitching. It's not as big a deal to starting pitching because they tend to 
they're pretty close to their, you know, regular, they may have a day or two, you know, extra, but as a hitter, it, it, it's tough, especially when you see a guy like Trey Turner, you know, have a big last day of the season, starting to heat up again. And you want to, you want to be in the lineup. You want to be in there seeing, seeing pitches and inter-squad games are fine. I mean, they're not fun to play in. Um, you know, I don't know. I never, I never liked playing in early in inter-squad games, but um, you just don't have the same adrenaline and it's not the same. So it's, it's tricky. Um, but usually after, you know, you, you get the adrenaline going when the, when the actual postseason starts. Um, so usually it's, it could be a, a couple at bats or something and you're kind of back in the rhythm, but it's definitely, uh, I think, a, a drawback. The only, the only perk is that you really get to have your pitching lined up and your bullpen, everyone's you know, fresh and ready to go. So that, it, it's, it's going to be tough, but, um, you know, I'll be curious to see what happens, um, for those teams that, that have those days off and, and how they, uh, start off their, their first series when they, when they get back into action. I think the three guys off the top of my head who stand to benefit from this would be Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, and Blake Trinan because they effectively finished the regular season at less than 100% health. Gonsolin came back and he made that one start, but it was a three-inning start. He now has an opportunity to make a four-inning inter-squad start, um, whereas Blake Trinan and Dustin May, they haven't seen live hitting uh pitched two live hitters rather uh, until today uh, in a pregame inner squad and, and they'll get to do a couple more of those going into this series and even then it's, it's not a slam dunk that they'll be on the roster like they still have to be good enough to do it in a game situation um, other than that everybody's like I'm sure you can speak to this well Sean like guys are dealing with nagging injuries that we don't know about but for the most part like I said, if you're tra- like you said, if you're Trey Turner, you probably don't want five days off right now. <laughs> right. No. I mean, I think there's guys maybe sometimes you're if you're feeling not as good at the plate and maybe you had a couple offers, those extra days to kind of work things out are you know are are a good thing. But yeah, I baseball it's weird. You could during the season you could have one day off you know, just a regular scheduled day. And the, the first step out, I would always feel like a little more nervous, a little more um, uncomfortable at the plate. And and then you, you'd get back into it. The, the all-star break of three or four days felt like an eternity. It felt like, you know, you'd it's the start of spring training almost when you get back there. So I'm sure there's going to be some of that. These guys are going to do everything they can to, to create an environment that um, – this is close to playing in a game that they could, they can have. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously there's, there's multiple teams in the same boat. So it'd be interesting to sort of kind of see how, how that all shakes out for those, those teams that were the best teams in baseball. It's very true. And we saw what happened when the Dodgers had to play a five game NLDS last year where their pitching staff was spent and it was really the opposite problem where they went into the National League Championship Series uh, with guys who were hurting and probably could have used a few days off. One guy I do trust to figure it out is Dave Roberts. He has not won the National League Manager of the Year since his first year in the league and we've seen better Dodger teams 
come around subsequent to that. We've seen them break the franchise record for victories three times. They did so again this year. And I, I you know, I, I just filed my annual end of season awards column today and I was sizing up the candidates and I, I, just, I couldn't help but think, man, if ever there were a year to step back and just reward Dave Roberts for the annual excellence that he provides the team, this would be a really good year. Don't you think? I do. I mean, he's a tremendous job. I mean, there's, you know, he gets, he gets penalized for the organization spending so much money and having so much talent. But at the same time, you look at all the injuries they've had, you look at how guys can come to this organization and become a much different player than they were with other organizations. I mean, you could, you could uh, point, you know, give the credit in a lot of different places. Maybe it's the analytics, whatever it is, but, at the same time, when you play for a manager that makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel like you're special, it it translates into how you play in the field. And I know Dave really well, and that's the kind of guy he is. He creates you – know, everyone he's with feels special and, like, he cares about how they – and he genuinely does care about how they are as a person. He cares about how they perform, and he's going to give them – every opportunity to succeed. So he deserves the credit. I, you know, I, and I still always, I go back and say, there's a reason why Tommy Lasorda had so many rookies of the year. He was really good with young players and making them believe they were even better than they were. So I, and there's a, there's a, a knack to that. And, and Dave has that knack and he's able to, to juggle all these, you know, these, uh, big stars that are coming from different organizations, guys that come with huge contracts. And, you know, there's a lot to, there's always a lot to juggle. There's, you know, people have family issues or, you know, whatever it may be. And you need a manager that's going to help people perform their best. It's going to take some of the, you know, maybe the media burden or the, you know, burden from, you know, fans being upset with their play, whatever it is, like he, he's going to shelter these guys as much as he can yeah. and protect them and give them the best opportunity to, to succeed and win 111 games like they did this year. Yeah. I think it somewhat goes underrated how Dave has to speak to things, to the media, that he probably shouldn't have to. I mean, he has to keep track of so many things that, that we in the media ask him because – not because we necessarily want to, but because he's the guy who's charged with addressing everything to reporters every day from how are you going to incorporate this player into the lineup? How is Chris Taylor's neck injury? What is Dustin May's demeanor like? Um, how is Mookie Betts feeling at the plate? What's he working on in the cage? Um, do you expect the front office to make some moves at the deadline? I mean, these are a very diverse array of questions that no one human being should be qualified to answer. And yet, rain or shine, pregame, postgame, Dave's out there taking it like a pro, doing his best, and, and doing it with a smile. I, I give him immense credit for that. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy job. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I think a lot of the people voting on this think, oh, he has an easy job because the Dodgers has are such so talented, they have so many resources. But, you know, that also brings a whole other layer of 
scrutiny and, you know, in the postseason, he gets, his needs get scrutinized more than other managers because of the talent of the team. And, um, yeah, and, and just having to deal with the extra media, the extra questions that come with being in Los Angeles, that come with being on the best team in baseball, um, that come with having, you know, a you know, star-studded ownership group. I mean, there's there's a lot that is on his shoulders, and there's no one that could handle it better than he does. Yeah, a lot fewer excuses to rely upon, uh, that's for sure, when, when you're managing this Dodgers team. Um, well, Sean, uh, our next podcast will be a playoff episode. I'm excited for it. Hope you are too. And next time we talk, we'll, we'll know who the Dodgers are playing. We don't even know that much. But uh, for now... We don't know. That's right. For now, it's uh, quite the regular season to look back upon, and I'm glad to have you here to do it with. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I'm looking forward to watching. It's going to be a fun postseason for sure. So, I mean, it's it's not it's definitely not going to be an easy one. I mean, you look at, I think the Braves are really tough. I think uh, I think the Mets are really tough. Um, the Padres we know well, so I, I don't worry as much about them. But they still have you know a lot of uh, horsepower there. So it, it's not going to be easy. Um, and St. Louis has a a couple of really tough guys in the middle of that lineup as well. So it'll, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a very exciting postseason, I think, on both both American League and the National League. But I'm, I'm excited to get it going. Yeah, me too. This will be a fun one. Sean, thanks as always for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. All right, that will do it for this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next week when the Dodgers will be playing another team not each other. In the meantime, if you have a minute, please rate, review, and subscribe. Always helps us out. Enjoy that first wild card round. Be glad the Dodgers aren't in it. Be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.